sorry about just Mike. Mike on Seattle Sports. You were not exactly Joe Cap there in the pocket. Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Saul. Welcome on Monday morning, Seattle. No, not uh, Salky today. It is Brock and Brady, the hitman Henderson today. Good morning, Brady. Nice to have you. Thanks for getting up early on a Monday morning. Always happy to do it. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, it's going to be quite a quite a show today. We all know what happens when I've got to be the pilot. Unlike the pilot last night, coming back from Cabo, first time that Molly and I have ever experienced this in our life, we land at the airport and the flight attendant very calmly says, I just want to let you all know, do not be alarmed when you look out your window as we head to the gate. You're going to see multiple, multiple fire trucks. You're going to see <laughs> sirens on. I'm like, what? And he did such a good job. He must be a middle child because he was totally calm and composed. Yes, it's a very standard operating procedure. So I'm thinking maybe the plane is on fire. Something is going on. And then he kind of paused and he said, when a pilot flies his final flight. 35 years of flying for our airlines. This trip home from Cabo is his final flight. So you will see the fire trucks. They will be going crazy. They'll be spraying water on the plane. So don't be alarmed. So that was pretty, that was a pretty wow. cool, yeah, pretty cool little experience. I never heard about that. I hadn't, I hadn't either, but nice way to celebrate the, the pilot. And uh, when I become the pilot, which happens today, it always gets a little dangerous, Brady. Uh, and that is why you are here on a good day because, man, there is uh, the Seahawks are one and two left. Um, there's only two teams standing in the NFL. We will get to a bunch of those games yesterday. They were compelling theater. The storylines write themselves somehow, some way, always in the NFL. We'll get to a ton of that. But the Seahawks were one of two teams without a head coach. And it looks like, is this the first time, by the way? This is your first time going through this entire process, yeah. right? Yep. Of the Seahawks hiring. Uh, I know in Blue 80, I'm going to ask you a little bit deeper about that. But are you by your phone right now? Or could you possibly have to leave the show Oh yeah, with, with breaking news? Oh, yeah. I got both. I got the work phone here, the personal phone here. I got my notepad here. I got my coffee. I'm ready to go, man. But, yeah, yeah you're you, right. The, the, there's, there could be some movement here in this coaching search right now. Everything is lining up that way. Uh, Tom Pelissaro, Mora, you just played this cut for me and, Je and Justin as well. Would you mind firing it off again? Uh, Tom Pelissaro, just this morning, reporting that the Seahawks are in Detroit, Motor City, interviewing uh, Ben Johnson. Uh, I guess if you're a Seahawks fan, the results could not have been yet better yesterday. If you want Mike McDonald or you want Ben Johnson, both of those guys can now interview because both of their seasons are over. Here's Tom Pelissaro this morning with the very latest and greatest on the Seahawks search. The Seahawks are scheduled to interview Ben Johnson later today in Detroit. Then they are set to interview Mike McDonald on Tuesday morning with the Ravens. For the Commanders, they've got Ravens associate head coach and defensive line coach Anthony Weaver this afternoon, Mike McDonald tonight, Cowboys defensive coordinator Dan Quinn on Tuesday morning. They have later in the day Ben Johnson in Detroit where they are also scheduled to interview defensive coordinator Aaron Glenn. That might be it for head coaching interviews in this cycle. Can you help me and the Seahawks fans out there, Brady, understand why these two are continue to be left Washington and Seattle, multiple uh, interest in the same candidates, interviewing not once, interviewing not twice, interviewing and spending not a week, not two weeks, now into the third week of this. Can you help me understand why these two organizations seem to be aligned in that kind of process? Well, I think it makes sense from the Seahawks standpoint, at least, that they would take their time with this decision. This is this is something that John Schneider has been waiting for for 14 years. Remember, he's, he's told the story a number of times that when he came and got this job in 2010, he thought he was going to be hiring the head coach. And so uh, a guy who's been in an organization that has 
prided itself on kicking the tires on everything, on leaving no stone unturned. Of course, they're going to take their time with the search. And look, you know, I think the danger in doing that can be that if you take your time, meaning if you say, hey, you know, we want to we want to wait to interview this guy. Well, you could lose out on candidates. But so far, I mean, I think there were nine reported first interviews that they had. They had four second interviews. So Ben Johnson would be the second uh, would be sorry, the fifth second interview uh, mm-hmm. that they've done. I mean, so far. Only one of the coaches, only one of the six head coaches who's been hired was a guy who was on their radar. So it's not like they're missing out right. on guys that they like left and right. I think, by and large, uh, this patient approach has paid off, and, and now they're in a spot where mm-hmm. it's them and Washington left. And um, you know, even if, say, Washington hires Ben Johnson, they're still going to have their pick of uh, most of the guys that they did second interviews with. Yeah, it kind of feels like it parallels the draft, which probably shouldn't be surprising. John Schneider's in charge of the draft and the lead-up to the draft and the draft day in the war room. And I don't think the Seahawks have ever, correct me if I'm wrong, (laughs) have ever not used the entirety of their clock. Oh, yeah. You know, they take it down to the wire. They turn over every stone. They're answering calls. They're digging into all of the details and it kind of feels like them preparing for a draft. So if this is, in that way, a comparison, the Seahawks have never been orthodox in the draft. They've never picked a guy in the first round on your mock drafts, nor my mock drafts, nor just about anybody's mock draft through the years. Do you anticipate over the next 24 to 48 hours that it is going to be one of these four or five guys they've interviewed multiple times? Well, technically, they have not interviewed Mike McDonald yet, and now there is some some technical reasons for that. So when, whenever they do talk to Mike McDonald, it sounds like that could be on Tuesday, that will be their first interview with him. So the way the rules are set up, um, because Baltimore had a first-round bye – uh, and the Seahawks, for whatever reason, weren't able to get an initial interview with him during that week. That mm-hmm. means they had to wait until Baltimore's season uh, was over. Whereas with Ben Johnson, because they had done a first interview with him, right. they could have interviewed him this week, regardless of whether Detroit was playing in the Super Bowl or not. So, um, so yes, you got, a, you got a gut feeling. It feels like either Mike McDonald, Ben Johnson, or Dan Quinn. That that's just that's what it feels like to me, and the reason I I really think that Quinn is still in play, even though they've clearly waited uh, to interview Ben Johnson again and Mike McDonald the first time, is mm-hmm. what was the one thing that John Snyder said was the directive from Jody Allen, right? It was to maintain the positive culture. I think if you're looking for right now, if if you're looking for the best, you know, schemer. Right on defense, it's Mike McDonald, the guy who's coordinated the best defense in the NFL. On offense, it's Ben Johnson, the guy who coordinated a very good Lions offense for the past two years. wasn't just you know some one hit coordinator wonder mm-hmm. like some of these other guys are, uh, but the guy who I think would would be clearly be the guy who would maintain that positive culture is a guy who sort of came up in this culture and helped establish yep. that culture. And Dan Quinn, that's not to say that would be the only thing that he would bring to the table. I think he and John Schneider would vibe really well, which is a big part of this search is John's got to get somebody he knows that he can work with. Mm-hmm. Like he worked with Pete Carroll so well for 14 years. So mm-hmm. to me, it feels like one of those three guys. And and look, it wouldn't surprise me if, A, I think these other guys that they've done second interviews could still be in play. But it wouldn't surprise me if one of those other guys who doesn't get the head coaching job could end up being a coordinator in yeah. Seattle. And meanwhile, they've yeah. used that time to vet those guys and to maybe even recruit them as well. Yeah, I think that's a, a really good point and part of this process as well, is it is a period of discovery, not just for yourself and your organization to make sure, as you said, this this choice and this marriage is aligned like Pete and John were, 
but you also get a feel for what everybody else is doing, for what's going on in their organizations, for who maybe really is some of the engine that, that drives those places. And I will say, man, I just got this little just twinge, just, just little dark horse, and it's Evero. And, and, and mm. I, don't, I don't know why, other than he's young, he's dynamic, he's positive, he's dealt with dysfunctional places in Denver and in Carolina, and he just has... I don't know, man. He just seems to me to have some some juice to him. I pause a little because Dan Morgan, the new GM there in Carolina, right, had him in house and, and was able to kind of see and, and be around all of that and passed and went with Dave Canales and uh, and went in a totally different direction. So maybe that leaves me, you know, just a little bit in doubt. But I wouldn't I wouldn't be shocked by anything with John Schneider. And I would not kind of like the draft read into well. Here's his visits. Here's the guys that are coming in. Here's who he's talking to. They just do, don't always play it by the book, and they don't always make it on you easy on you and me and everybody right. else to forecast exactly what they're going to get done. Yeah, look at Evero's the last two seasons, right? So he he was with the uh, Rams as mm-hmm. a defensive assistant during their run to the Super Bowl after you know in 2021. Then he goes to Denver, right? And then the season after that, he's in Carolina. So he he the last two seasons he coordinated two very good defenses despite playing for head coaches that got fired before the end of the first season of Crazy. their contract. So he Crazy. was he was more than holding his own in some pretty dysfunctional situations, as you said. And to me, you know, Brock, look, I, I don't know enough about the scheme that these guys run to, to tell you that this guy's well, you scheme should, Brady. is so That's much That's your freaking better. job, well, okay? I, you should. I'm, I'm talking about the X's and O's and the inside of it and how well it would translate, right? So, for instance, I can't tell you that Ben Johnson runs – the best offensive scheme in the NFL because I don't know how much of that is scheme versus yep. how much the of that Joes. is the players he's mm-hmm. got. Uh, but so for me, one of my big litmus tests is: can I picture this guy? No one, you know, if if I've yeah. had a chance to talk to this guy on a Zoom call or if I've seen him in a press conference, um, you know, on YouTube that I pull up, can I picture this guy? Knowing what I know about this guy, knowing what I know about NFL players and what makes them tick and what they respond to. Can I picture this guy standing up in front of a group of 53 players and commanding their attention, no. commanding no. their respect, getting them to play hard for him, getting them to buy in? With Evero, I, I definitely can, man. Yeah. He's got that CEO-type uh, approach to him. He does. And uh, this is going to be a decision that has to happen, I would think, this week. I mean, you cannot extend it yet another week. There is a deadline looming. That is a Geno Smith decision. That's now just less than three weeks away. So we'll get into all of that. We'll get into what we witnessed over the weekend, what it meant to the Seahawks. We will check in in Baltimore with the Brady Henderson of Baltimore, the guy that follows those Ravens inside and out. In fact, in that Baltimore locker room today, all of that coming your way as Brady is in for Salk. It's Brock and Salk right here on Seattle Sports Station. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Well, here's what you need to know. As January's come winding down, the news is fast and furious. The Seahawks have taken their time, as much time as well, anybody other than the Washington football team. The two of them are down to the final stretch here. It looks like they're interviewing some of the same candidates. In fact, Tom Pelissaro this morning letting us all know that John Schneider and his committee took that old private plane back to Detroit Motor City, and they're busy interviewing one Ben Johnson this morning. Here's Pelissaro with the report. The Seahawks are scheduled to interview Ben Johnson later today in Detroit. Then they are set to interview Mike McDonald on Tuesday morning with the Ravens. For the Commanders, they've got Ravens associate head coach and defensive line coach Anthony Weaver this afternoon. Mike McDonald tonight. 
Cowboys defensive coordinator Dan Quinn on Tuesday morning. They have later in the day Ben Johnson in Detroit where they are also scheduled to interview defensive coordinator Aaron Glenn. That might be it for head coaching interviews in this cycle. Well, you may be able to question the final selection, and it sure feels like lots of social media and Seahawks Twitter would love to see one of these young guys, in particular Ben Johnson. I don't think he necessarily changed their minds last night. You know, they didn't execute in a couple fourth downs. It really cost them. We'll get to that here in about 20 minutes or so. And Mike McDonald will be the first time they interview him tomorrow. Everybody else, they've done their due diligence, Brady. You may question the final result, and I'm sure many will because everybody will have a different opinion, but you cannot question the amount of time turning over stone and interviewing so many of these guys now, Brady, multiple times. Yep, it's been nine, uh, I believe, nine reported first interviews. Ben Johnson would be the fifth guy they've done a second interview with, and then they obviously wanted to do a first interview with Mike McDonald, didn't get a chance to do that, so he would be another guy. Look, as you said at the start of the show, nothing that happened in the NFC or AFC championship games would dampen any sort of enthusiasm about either Ben Johnson or Mm -hmm. Mike McDonald, right? Uh, Detroit's offense, one of the best offenses in the NFL by any measure over the last two seasons. They go into Santa Clara, score 31 points against that 49ers defense. And by the way, Brock, they probably left at least three points, maybe more on the board with some of those fourth down decisions that Dan Campbell made. Meanwhile, in Baltimore, the Ravens obviously lost that game, but that was not because of their defense. That number one ranked defense uh, held Patrick Mahomes and company to 17 points. The Ravens lost that game because of their offense. And so Uh, nothing that happened yesterday would make you any less excited about either one of those guys. And again, Dan Quinn and maybe even some of those other guys are still in play for Seattle as well. Here's the second thing you need to know. Second thing you need to know is the NFL just delivers. Just time and again, it just finds a way to deliver. As you just mentioned, they're 17-10. Kansas City got all those points in that first half. 17 of them shut out in the second half, but their defense came up with turnover after turnover after turnover, including just an incredible play by Snead to bunch, punch that ball. Cam Chancellor, Earl Thomas-like, right at the goal line. Uh, that was a, 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 a blow, and then the death blow, the interception. I don't know what Lamar's doing, throwing in triple coverage. But 17-10, the Chiefs find a way to win that one. Out in Santa Clara, while Detroit ran away in that first half, up 24-7. to Two fourth down decisions. We're going to go into some great length in 10 minutes, as everyone around the country is talking about it this morning. But Dan Campbell post-game. Whew, not going to regret what happened on fourth down. I just felt really good about us converting and uh, getting our momentum and not letting them play long ball. You know, they were bleeding the clock out. That's what they do. And I wanted to get the upper hand back. And it's easy hindsight, and I get it, you know. I get that. But I don't regret those decisions. And that's hard because, you know, they didn't. we didn't come through. We wasn't able to to work out but I just I don't and I understand the scrutiny I'll get that's part of the gig man but this didn't work out man good for Dan Campbell Love that dude, he, you gotta admire how much he wears the emotion on his sleeve and, and he also stuck to his guns there and that's a guy who has gotten that team to that position in large part because of the aggressiveness you're gonna live by it and in that case look they died by it and I understand part of the rationale there that San Francisco is so good at you know playing in that four-minute offensive style where they're just going to hand the ball off to Christian McCaffrey, grind out the clock, grind out a win, and he felt like they needed seven points there. I think the one part of the decision that I question is when it's it's not like it's fourth and inches, Brock. It mm-hmm. wasn't fourth and one, and mm-hmm. when you don't have a quarterback who's all that mobile, you know you really don't have much of a, of a option to hit for Goff to convert that fourth down with his legs. 
fourth and three, man. That's that's no gimme by any means. Now, at the same time, 48-yard field goal, that's no gimme either. You saw yep. San Francisco's kicker miss yep. from that exact same distance early in yep. that game. Mm. Here's the third thing you need to know. Well, all of that was going down. The NHL had just two games yesterday, and one of them was in Seattle, and that was the Kraken going and getting it done against the uh, Blue Jackets 4-2 yesterday. Mr. Eberle, how about Mr. Eberle? Here was his second of two goals on the day. Oliver Bjorkstrand, bumper slot by Eberle. McCann, stopped by Tarasov. Eberle, the rebound, scores! Yeah, they go on to win four to two. Brady, they are now 21, 18, and 10. The next game will be their 50th game of the season. So this season's starting to take a little bit of form. And then, well, I know you're a diehard Mariners fan. Did you uh, see Jared Kelnick's comments over the weekend at the end of the week? I sure did. Yeah, he had some uh, some honest thoughts about uh, T-Mobile Park. I almost yep. called it. First Lumen of all, I almost called it. It'd be just as hard to hit. Nah, it'd be just as hard to hit in Lumen. Let me try to cross Royal Brown. And then it was Safeco, and now it is T-Mobile. I gotta get. I'm gonna get some stuff off my chest. Oh, That's everything you need to know, by the way. I'm gonna get some things off my chest in a half an hour. We're gonna dig into Dan Campbell and the Detroit Lions here in just a few minutes. Thank you, more. That's everything you need to know. But I'm gonna let you know when you sit in a lawn chair. Well, not really a lawn chair, like the softest, coziest mattress you could ever, ever have on a beach chair uh, in Cabo for three or four days. And I had my phone largely off. Like I, I was not around it. Did a good job, just soaking in the sun, soaking in time with Molly. Some friends were down there. But you realize, like, man, you got to get some of this stuff off your chest. There's a lot of old people there. There's a lot of old people at this <laughs> resort, you know? And one day I'm going to be hopefully an old person like them just sitting in the sun like a, you know, just a leathery piece of brown skin as well. <laughs> uh, and when I am, I'm going to make sure I get stuff off my chest. So I'm going to save some of those uh, some of those comments for about a half hour from now. But the whole country is buzzing. Everybody is talking about what happened. You mentioned Dan Campbell, the life that he has brought Detroit. Did you see those shots of Ford Field? Like, it was packed. Yeah. They're watching that game, and it is packed in their own stadium. And I just can't imagine the amount of pain and heartache when you're up 24-7 and a half. You're up 24-10 right there near, what, midway, three, four minutes in the third quarter. You just find a way to score there. You're going to win this game. They did not. He makes a bold decision. Was it the right decision? Brady and I will conquer that question next. He's in for Salk right here on the Seattle Sports Station. This is Brock and Salk. Back in mornings from 6 to 10. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Well, the right man for the job, the hitman in two days. We could hear some Seahawk news. Probably not this morning. They're going to be conducting some interviews in Detroit and in Baltimore over the next 24 to 48 hours. I don't think there's any immediate rush today or tomorrow, but it sure feels like Brady with Gino's decision coming in just a couple weeks. You'd love to have your team on board. So I would think um, some point, maybe who knows, Wednesday, Thursday this week, everything becomes official and we could start talking instead of questioning or wondering who's going to be the next guy. Did you, by the way, just a side note before we get to Dan Campbell and the Lions and analytics, you see that uh, the GoFundMe site that the Seahawks fans put together for the full page in the in the Times on Pete Carroll? 
I did see that. Yeah. Yeah. That was pretty cool. That was really cool, man. That was really cool. That was one of the things that I did read in the sunshine and not going to lie. I got a little misty, you know, when you're around old people and uh, there's a really old guy at this resort that I call Pete Carroll's dad. He's probably <laughs> in his nineties and he's got like, his own chair every morning, <laughs> everything set up at this resort for him. And every six time we've been there every single year, he is there in routine and everything. And I thought, man, that was a really cool because these 14 years been pretty good, Brady. I mean, been pretty, pretty darn good. In fact, you know, it made me think of Dan Campbell's cut, cut number six here, Mora. We'll start with Dan, then we'll get to some of the decision making. But Dan Campbell, been in this league a long time, was actually drafted four or five picks after me in the 99 draft. I remember being at the rookie seminar and symposium and, and meeting Dan and a fellow third round pick out of Texas A&M uh, that went into the NFL as a player. He's been an assistant. He's now been a head coach. And Dan Campbell knows and cut number six here. You can't take anything for granted in this NFL. And it's a lesson learned. And look, I told those guys, this may have been our only shot. Do I think that? No. Do I believe that? No. However, I, I know how hard it is to get here. I, I'm well aware. And it'll be, it's going to be twice as hard to get back to this point next year than it was this year. That's, that's the reality. And if we don't have the same hunger and the same work, which is a whole other thing, once we get the offseason, um, then we got no shot of getting back here. I don't care how much better we get or what we add or what we drive. It's irrelevant. Um, it's going to be tough. Yeah, I thought that was a, a cool dose of reality from mm-hmm. Campbell there. And what he's talking about and why he says it's going to be harder is look what's going to happen here in the next couple of days. His offensive coordinator is probably going to get a head coaching job, whether it's in Washington uh, or with the Seahawks. When you go to the NFC Championship game and you – put up the kind of numbers that they did. Uh, you know, that defense wasn't great, but Mm-mm. offensively, look, teams are going to come after your free agents, right? And there's going to be a lot more pressure uh, on them next year than there was this year. And by the way, they're probably going to have to pay Jared Goff a lot of money this offseason too. So mm. it's going to get harder for them in every single way. And, um, you know, you appreciate kind of the, the message of reality that he was talking about there. And I think, again, you also appreciate just how much – the coach wears the emotion on his sleeve. I love the story about you, uh, you know, meeting with him at the rookie symposium. I forgot that he was in the same draft as you. Yes. Did, could you have imagined then, when you met him all the way then, that he would have been a head coach at some point in the NFL? Probably not. Yeah, I think he had a dip as big as a hockey puck even back <laughs> even, even back then in in his mouth. But you could feel his presence, kind of what you talked about as you watch all these YouTubes and these interviews of these different guys. Kind of like when you know a QB walks in the room and it's just different. You know, there's just a, a presence versus a QB that walks in the room and you're like, nope. And the and head coach is similar. I mean, he has just a huge, huge presence. But he's right in the crosshairs today because ahead in that game, Ford Field is rocking. It is packed. Those fans are desperate. They had never been to a Super Bowl in their head 24-7. And I'm actually like screaming on the plane. I think Molly turned to me like, will you calm down? You know, when he when he almost went for it in the first half up 21-7, like – you take those points, you go up three scores. He did that. They go into halftime of 24-7. San Fran gets the ball. They drive it down the field. They hold them to a field goal. You're still up 24-10, and then you get the ball, Brady, and then you drive it down the length of the field. You're sitting there at the 28-yard line, 24-10, and it's amazing. right? They say in baseball, like the ball is going to find you. The ball is going to find you. If you're going to be that late-inning replacement, it's going to come your way. Well, in football, in these big games, in these big moments, ask Dan Lanning, these decisions come into your lap. Okay, here it is. Fourth and two, fourth and three. And quite honestly, the first time, I get it. 
the first time is 47 yard in that stadium is no gimme right and it was fourth and two and you had been so good on every third down every big play Amon Ross St. Brown and Laporta and Jared and your O-line like okay you know this is good and in fact you drop a darn good play yeah and you got Josh Reynolds on a little one-on-one on one of their weak links and is the ball a foot wider than Jared Goff wants it yeah it's a foot wider. Did it hit both hands of Josh Reynolds? Did Kevin Burkhart call it a catch immediately right out of his mouth because it looked like a pitch and a catch, and here we go. And all of a sudden, you go score a touchdown on that drive, you're not losing. You're up 31-10. You're not losing that game, and that's his mindset. I'm not thinking about the downside. As he had to react to it about an hour later, here was Dan Campbell, cut number five, talking about those fourth down decisions. I just felt really good about us converting and uh, getting our momentum and not letting them play long ball. You know, they were bleeding the clock out. That's what they do. And I wanted to get the upper hand back. And it's easy hindsight, and I get it, you know. I get that. But I don't regret those decisions. And that's hard because, you know, they didn't. We didn't come through. It wasn't able to, to work out. But I just, I don't. And I understand the scrutiny I'll get. That's part of the gig, man. But it just didn't work out. 24 to 10. Like the Apple Cup. Yep. Fourth down, inside your own 30. Kalen DeBoer in that moment trusts whom? Trust Michael Penix and trust Roma Dunze. Trust the play that they've repped and they've operated that had multiple options on it. Felt good about it. Pulled the trigger, win the Apple Cup, win the Pac-12 title, win the semifinal, get to the national title game, win a $90 million contract with Alabama. Like that decision, those decisions right there. Did you have a problem with that first decision near the end of the third quarter were you sitting there like salk was like kick it kick it i'm mean, salk wanted campbell fired fire whoa fire that man after that decision right there i did not i did not have that feeling on that decision no no nah, it didn't seem like a fireable offense uh, it, look at i understand the rationale there now when he was talking in that last cut we heard it, look, he was there. He was addressing multiple fourth down decisions. I think what right. he was really talking about there was the one at the end because the fear was that San Francisco was just going to bleed the clock out. Now that wasn't the case when they faced this decision mm. earlier, uh, right? Coming out of the the halftime after San Francisco had gotten the ball and driven for a field goal that made it a fourteen that cut Detroit's lead to fourteen. So then Detroit gets the ball back and they drive and they're faced with that decision. You kick a, what would it have been, a 45-yard field goal? Mm-hmm. Or do you go for it on fourth and I think it was two? two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and look, man, and I heard Luke Wilson talk about this and I agree with him after the game. Like The chance to answer that kind of drive and to really stifle any momentum and to say, yeah, you got your field goal there, but we're just going to answer everything that you do with the field goal you know, the chance to go back up by 17 points there, yes. I, I realize, I agree with you, I think if they go up 21 there, that is that is as close to a dagger as you could get. But man, taking the three points there yes. and answering, like that, ha- th- there would probably be some level of demoralization for San Francisco, knowing that you sort of took their best punch coming That's out right. of halftime and you That's answered right. it right back. That's exactly right. And I totally get it. And if I were in those shoes, I think I'd take the points. He's going to say, this is who we are. This is what we do. It's the same reason that all of these teams driven by analytics. Right now, my girls' basketball team at Montana, Brady, driven by analytics. Lay-ins or three-pointers? That's all I want. Lay-ins or three-pointers? A third in the country and and three-pointers made per game, just shattering all these school records, doing pretty well. But that is their analytics. We're going to try to get lay-ins or we're going to shoot three-pointers. How many times have I screamed at my television? Just put the ball down. Come on, Mariners. 
Just put the ball there. Just put the ball in play. Just please give me a sack fly. Just please give me a sacrifice bunt. Just please at some point play a little small ball. Just please do something versus, nope, this is who we are. This is what we do. We swing for the fences and, you know, we swing for home runs and we don't play small ball. We've asked nobody in years past to bunt on this team. I think that's going to change in 2024. I think their new offensive coordinator, and that's his title, new offensive coordinator there in that dugout is going to say, we do whatever it takes to win this game. And that would be my bottom line to kind of cut through these analytics. Do I think they're all bad? No. Do I think there's a place for them? Absolutely. Do I think in that chance, the percentage, is it, is it worked out? Is it minimal, you know, minimal to go for it? You've got to read the room. You got to read that sidelines. You got to read that building. You got to read all of those things that are not, that are not in that book, no matter how good that book is. And by the way, Brady, the, the people, and I've gotten a chance to take, you know, take a peek at this book, the service that uses it, the consulting group, and, and it is fairly pliable. It does like all of a sudden make some of these adjustments in the second half. And if you're up and all of it, and it gives you kind of those odds like the craps table or the blackjack table. But that one felt like in that moment, you know, when you're up with some chips, that felt like hitting on 15 and there's a case for it. Now, the second one, when you're down 27, 24, when the momentum is totally turned in that place and it is electric and they have come all the way back like Lazarus and they just they're tasting the Super Bowl. And it's 27, 24. And once again, it's not fourth and inches. Yeah. I, I can't, you can't, you've got to tie the game. At least make them bleed. At least make them go to their corner. At least settle down the crowd. Because if you don't get it in that moment, well, look what happens. They drive down, go up 10, and largely the game is over. So that second one, to me, I just, I can't understand that one. Yeah, it's not second in inches. And it's also not like you've got Lamar Jackson at quarterback or nope. a Josh Allen, you know, or... Uh, I mean, name whatever, you know. Even a little Brock Purdy that'll run around. Yes. Yeah, Brock Purdy looked pretty good moving around. And Patrick Mahomes does. And I mean, Goff, of the quarterback, Goff might be the slowest-footed quarterback of of any that made the playoffs this year. And so that's one of the problems to me with the second fourth down play is when you're getting a guy out of the pocket like that, I mean, if you've got a mobile quarterback, that's great. And you give the guy the option to run it uh, or to throw it, that – and he he was not going to convert that no. fourth down with his nope. legs. Now, the other one, I, I think to some degree, you've got to view these fourth down decisions, A, in the moment, right? Is what, what, mm-hmm. what, what, When you see that the coach leaves the offense out on the field, what's your first reaction there? It's not you don't get the benefit of hindsight. It's nope. what do you think of the decision in the moment? I think you also got to look at the fact that that play, it accomplished – 95% of what it was trying to accomplish, which was to get a receiver open, yep. right? They had Josh Reynolds open. The throw, as you said, is maybe a foot or two offline. Mm-hmm. Still a catch that a veteran receiver should make. So, you know, for all of the scrutiny that's come on Dan Campbell for that specific decision there, and they got they got yeah. the matchup they wanted. They yeah. got the, the look they that they wanted. You know what's funny is uh, my guy, Jason Benetti, who I love, and, and it's truly one of the best that I have, if not the best that I've ever worked with. And uh, like Manny, like Adam Amin, and like Joe Davis, and like a lot of his generation of broadcasters, Aaron Goldsmith, they do a lot of baseball. And baseball has been living in this numbers world and this decision world, not for four or five years like it feels the NFL is right now. They've lived in it for decades, thanks to Bill James and his you know, um, prospectus and everything else and all the stats that come with it. And Jason is awesome. I mean, he takes these things next level. And we were sitting in a meeting 
And he'll ask different coaches, you know, where, where they fall on this line from Kyle Winningham, Dan Lanning, Kalen DeBoer, all of them. And I remember he asked Dan Lanning this year because we had Oregon late in the year after they had lost to Washington the first time and a lot of Dan Lanning's. Maybe if you're named Dan, you're just very aggressive. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's the, the point here. Um, but many of those decisions that Dan had made in that first Husky game, right, fourth downs and going for it kind of blew up in his face. And he said, Dan, do you play the book or do you play your opponent? You know, and, and this is where blackjack's different. You're not playing a dealer. That, that dealer is just taking the cards out. And, you know, do, do you read the room? Do you look at your guy across? Are you playing poker, not blackjack? Are you playing poker and watching their reaction and look at, and it's funny, Brady, some of these coaches pay no attention to that. Really? Right? Like, yeah, it's kind of like poker. They're looking at their hand. They know their hand. They're not even really looking at their opponent at the poker table. They're playing their odds. They're playing their hand. They're playing, you know, what, what they think the dealers put out and what that other guy. And then you see others that just stare on the other side, <laughs> like the old poker table, like looking for any little tell. Looking for anything. Give me cut number seven here as we wrap up this conversation more. I want to hear Shanahan because this was who Dan Lanning's playing. He's playing the best offensive coordinator, schemer, play caller, I think, going in the NFL right now. Here was Kyle Shanahan's thoughts on Dan Campbell, the poker player on the other side, continuing to say, hit me, hit me. That's how they've done it most of the year, and I think that's one of the reasons why they were here. So, like, you win a lot of games making some of those decisions, and then you make some decisions and you lose them. I mean, I don't think it always comes down to that. There's lots of plays that happen in the game, but, I mean, that's a decision that we all have to make, and it doesn't surprise me because he's made a lot of those decisions throughout the year that have won them a lot of games also. Should those decisions change in the postseason? Should hmm. those decisions change... I think Salk will say this tomorrow, and he's on puppy duty today, so we're going to have an absolute blast when he comes back tomorrow with lots of stories. But I think he's going to say to you, dude, you're on the road. You're not at Ford Field, <laughs> and you're playing this opponent, and you're playing this poker player, and you're playing Shanahan. You're playing all these stars. And I think that there's great merit to that. Postseason baseball is different than regular season baseball. Are we going to learn through analytics that postseason football analytically and making these decisions, Brady, is different as well? That, that's a fascinating point you made about the, the coaches who some of them just go straight off of the numbers and straight yep. by the book. I, I could have sworn to you that I, I would have assumed that every one of those guys would tell you that, yeah, they weigh both of them, that they, they weigh the situation as well. you got a rookie quarterback or a veteran quarterback. Is, mm -hmm. is, is your wide receiver your number one target? Is he dealing with an injury? Uh, is, is the quarterback's confidence shake? What's your yep. defense doing exactly? So that, Where's that, the wind blowing? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, I, I would have thought that everybody at least would tell you that they weigh both of those things, and mm -hmm. it sounds like some of them don't. And, I mean, I, I think, d does it change in the playoffs? I think maybe it changes if you've got a young quarterback and you're worried about how the playoff pressure, especially being on the road, mm -hmm. might affect that quarterback in that situation. But Jared Goff's not a veteran. or mm -hmm. He's not a rookie quarterback. Mm -hmm. The guy's been in the NFL for eight years, been to a Super Bowl as well played in this is his, i think his second nfc championship game so and he's um, gonna wake up this morning brady and go damn dan's taking all this heat and if i make yep. two great throws if i put a little error on it to jameer gibbs on the little option route down the middle versus cover two where he did buy a little time instead of you know he took the air off of it he just puts a little air on it it's touchdown if he if he hits sam laporta on a on a second down he runs a little sail route he's got fred warner or drake greenlaw by four or five yards and then once again, he doesn't put enough air and just, and he knows, like you can wake up this morning and go, everybody in the country is talking about Dan Campbell and every one of these talk shows got their hot take on all these decisions. But if I had done my job, as Kyle said, on some of these other plays, 
wouldn't have put ourselves in that situation. But that's the game of football. That's when the stakes are this high, and that's when we go to a little blue 88. This is Brock and Sox Blue 88. Blue 88! Blue 88! We take you to the field as Brock Ewer breaks down three football questions as only he can. Now here's your hosts, Brock Ewer and Mike Saw. Oh, this is so fun for me. I get to facilitate. I get to be the QB, and I get to put a little air perfectly on that ball and drop it in for a teardrop touchdown to Brady Henderson because I'm going to start with something personal. What have you learned? First time through this process in 14 years, Brady, covering these Seattle Seahawks. And you've not covered them for all 14 years, but you've covered them for a lot of them. Yeah. They've not been in this position. What has Brady Henderson learned about your job going through this uh, coaching search and hiring process with John Schneider? Yeah, the one thing, Brock, that stands out to me about how the Seahawks are doing this differently than than other teams, most, most of the other teams, if not all of them, they have been very transparent in their coaching search and they'll tweet out hey we've just conducted an interview with so and so here's the full list of guys that we've requested for an interview that we are interviewing here's all the guys we've done a second interview with and to me especially when it's the big name head coach like we saw the the falcons you know tweet out we've conducted an interview with bill belichick to me that comes off as a little bit like you 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 want that attention because you feel like you need that attention and you need to show your fans hey look the greatest coach in Fran- in NFL history. He's interested in our job, and and the I think the term that the kids use these days, Brock, mm. is thirsty, right? Mm. And and it, and it sort of reminds me of why people, you know, post on social media. Why you take the mirror selfie because you want the positive feedback. I think the Seahawks they have not been transparent. They have not announced anything. Trust me, it's hard to get any sort of information out of that building right now. Um, and I think part of that is because they are secure in who they are, right? There's not the the lack of there's not the insecurity that I think some other teams have. Mm-hmm. Uh, they know that, look, they, they're going to have their fans and their fans are going to be pumped up, I think, you know, regardless of, of who they hire, maybe more so with some candidates than others. But I think the way that that relates more so to their coaching search is, look, they're not afraid to bring in a guy like Mike Kafka for a second interview, a guy like Patrick Graham for a second interview, guys mm-hmm. that would not really move the needle nearly to the degree that a Ben Johnson would, a Mike McDonald would, even a Dan Quinn would. And look, what do we know about John Schneider's draft history? There's been a lot of decisions there where it's not necessarily the popular move. It's the one that they trust and they trust their process. And look, M- Mike Kafka would not be uh, uh, considered by anybody to be a home run, but there's something that they saw in him and maybe something they still do see in him. Uh, and they've got the confidence, I think, to to make a move that wouldn't necessarily be the popular one. And they because they realize that, you know, they could weather you know, maybe some of the, the, the early, you know, underwhelming thoughts about that move. And if they, mm-hmm. they could trust their process to know that even if the reaction wasn't all that uh, enthused, then uh, they, they could still feel like they made the right decision. Thirsty. Thirsty. Yeah. yeah. Look it up. Okay. UrbanDictionary.com. Mora made this point to us last night on the uh, show sheet, by the way. Kudos to Justin and Mora, right? You get a look at these show sheets. When Matt Johnson comes in here and fills into, he's like, what? What? Look at Mora and, and the, the, Justin. They're just the stars of the show. Yeah. I mean, they just really like are almost in our ears telling Salk and I what to say all the time. That's not true. Mora's yeah. doing that. Don't, don't lump me in the, that you know kind what? of credit. Yeah, you know what? You're right. <laughs> I mean, you've assimilated back to human earth, which is great, after Thank Morocco. You. And, you know, you, you're B-plus. A student, she is an A plus, and she made this point: like, did the Seahawks in drafting Ken Walker and Zach Charbonnet want 
what the Detroit Lions have in Montgomery and Gibbs? And if so, do you think K-9 and Charbonnet can be that kind of dynamic moving forward? I think so. And and I think the short answer is they've got to be because you're not going to see this team spend another uh, early round pick on a running back after doing it two years in a row, spending second round picks on Walker and then Charbonnet. A, they don't have a, a second round pick this year, but... You're gonna, they're gonna have to roll with those guys, and can they be what Gibbs and Montgomery are in Detroit? I, I think they could be something pretty close to that. Now, Charbonnet is not the the big powerful runner uh, that Montgomery is, but I think Walker can do a lot of the things that Jameer Gibbs can do. You think of Jameer Gibbs as this blazing fast guy. I mean, the forty times are virtually the same. It was four three six and four three eight that Ken Walker ran, and so. Walker's got He's pretty so much fast, all though, the speed. Man. Yeah, wow. doesn't Gibbs just look like he plays a gear faster than everybody? He else? does. He does, and he's and he's an excellent pass catcher out of the yes. backfield. But the next point here is that, man, I watched these guys. I watched Charbonnet and and Walker in practice every day during training camp. And the thing that's, that struck me was how natural pass catchers those guys are. And mm-hmm. it, it remains a huge mystery to me, Brock, as to why they weren't involved more in the passing game. I'm going to give you some numbers here. Oh, the Seahawks. Okay, in terms of... Oh, I'm thirsty right now for these numbers. Yeah, I bet you are. The Seahawks, in terms of completions to running backs this year, ranked 24th in the NFL. Okay, if you go the last three seasons, uh, so Shane Waldron's entire tenure as offensive coordinator, tied for 28th. Going back to Brian Schottenheimer, the three years he was here, 26th. Go back to Daryl Bevel, right, the eight years that he was Seattle's OC, 30th in terms of completions to running backs. For whatever reason... This this team has been allergic to throwing the ball to running backs, even when they've got some very good pass catchers at that position. So if you want to be what Detroit is with Gibbs in Montgomery, I think one thing you've got to do is take advantage of those guys as pass catchers. That's going to be something that whoever the next offensive coordinator is in Seattle, look, the guy's going to look like a genius for doing one simple thing, yeah. which is throwing the ball to your running backs more. Mm. All right. Question number three. Final one here, a couple minutes, Brady, on this one. And it's going to take more time than that. And we're going to have, I think, some weeks and maybe months to discuss this one. But let's just start the conversation now. What's next for Bobby Wagner? Well, the two things that I know to be true about the way Bobby Wagner has handled free agency these last couple years is, one, he's going to be patient. Okay, look at when he signed with the Rams uh, two off-seasons ago after getting cut by the Seahawks following the 2021 season. That was March 31st. Okay, so that's, you know, what, two, three weeks into free agency. He's not going to be one of those guys uh, who just takes the first deal that comes his way. You know, last year when he re-signed with the Seahawks, that wasn't until March 26th. Okay, so the guy has shown that he's willing to take his time, which I think is is notable considering that, look, he's going it alone in free agency, and he's not um, just hitting the panic button and saying, you know, I don't want to, you know, I don't, I don't want to go it alone in this process. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want this to drag out. I'm going to take the first deal. That's not how he's done it. The other thing I know to be true about Bobby Wagner is he's going to negotiate a nice deal for himself. He, I think the deal that he got here in Seattle in 2019, that's the that was the gold standard for guys who have represented themselves mm-hmm. and gotten really good extensions done. I think he did well for himself with the Rams on that deal, and he did well for himself. And this wasn't a huge deal that he signed with the Seahawks last year, one year, uh, $5.5 million base value, but for a 33-year-old inside linebacker, that's pretty darn good. And you know what mm-hmm. else he did? He negotiated a $750,000 incentive for making the Pro Bowl, which he cashed in on. And so in terms of what this means for Wagner's future in Seattle, look, man, I think it's going to be tough because Mm -hmm. Pete Carroll 
what did we what did we hear from Pete Carroll after they cut Bobby Wagner? Pete Carroll didn't want to do it. Yep. And I think in the same vein, I think Bobby Wagner coming back last offseason, that was much more of a Pete Carroll move than it was a John Schneider move. I think the way that conversation went was Pete said, Johnny, Johnny, we need this guy. Our run defense was terrible. Johnny, we need the leadership back in here. Make it happen. John Schneider made it happen. But guess who's guess who's driving the bus now? It's John yes. Schneider. Mm-hmm. And without, you know, it's sort of like with the Geno conversation, without maybe his biggest advocate in the building with Pete Carroll no longer there, I, I think the chances of another reunion with Bobby Wagner took a pretty big hit. That's Blue 88. No gloss on here, man. No, uh, no no glazing. You just nailed it, man. Just nailed it. As you do every time you jump in on Blue 88 in my absence. Fun to facilitate and throw you those questions. I got a few things that, uh, and this is what happens when you get a little R&R. When you get away from the world. When you get unplugged a little bit. And then you got to plug back in and, and come back into town. I got a couple things I'm going to get off my chest. I will do that with Brady Henderson next right here on the Seattle Sports Station.